Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. My name's Glenn James. I'm the creator and host of this podcast. We like helping you make better money decisions and encouraging you along the way. Now, today's episode is with a colleague of mine, Amanda Kasser. We had her on the podcast uh, last year, episode 302, I believe, and that was all about dealing with financial abuse. So if you want to have a listen to that episode, go back and do that would love you to have a listen to that as well. Now, if you do want to send in your questions, please do so. Questions at mymillennial.money. Uh, we've been loving all the questions coming in. It helps us make these episodes. As you'll see, there's a variety of different questions that we answer in this episode and we can't do this podcast without you. So I really want to thank you for lending us your ears. We know you've got a choice with podcasts and I thank you for choosing My Millennial Money. And before we get into this episode, I just want to remind you, if you are new to the My Millennial world, we have some other podcasts. Uh, we've got My Millennial Health. Chloe and Jess just deep dive into your health and wellness you know, sleep, gut health, mental health, all that stuff. We've also got My Millennial Property, John and Emily. They just go deep into property. Finally, one other one that I want on profile right now is My Millennial Career. So check out Shell and M for all your career issues and concerns. They'll solve all your problems and tuck you in at night. I recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago when I was visiting the Gold Coast for that live event. And I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you guys soon. Bye. All right, Amanda, there's a question here from Helen. She says, it would be great to understand how women can keep up when we often make less. So, I mean, we can go many places with this question. With your experience as a financial advisor, what would you say would be some talking points or thought points uh, for this question? Yeah, it's a really, really great question, actually, because, you know, women are earning 15 to 20%, depending on where you are, less than men. Naturally, it is is a whole lot harder to keep up. The superannuation gap is real. And often we're the ones who are the caregivers, both for uh, elderly parents and children. So there's more time out of the market. So I think understanding that these are likely to be career breaks and how we can deal with those is really important upfront and what opportunities there are. So first get really savvy when you are getting your job. I mean, sometimes we just walk into the first thing that we're offered and think, oh, you know, we're so grateful we've got a job. And sometimes that's the case. We really need to be. But as we uh, get older and can pick and choose and become, you know, more savvy, have more skills, make sure we're getting equal opportunity. Speak to your employer. You know, is that something that's important to them? Should it be important to them if it's if it's not, both on a pay scale, a diversity scale? You know, it's 2021 now. We've got to get with the program. So. And it's, it's wild because if you did get a sense that the business that you're working in 
didn't value uh, women the same as men, there's probably other things in that business that you don't know about that you wouldn't want anything to do with that business. So, true. I, I think it it could be a talking point, particularly if you're going for a new role. Uh, you could certainly ask the question. It might not be walking into the interview leading your first question, like... Am I getting paid the same as the boys? Yeah, or like, how much are you paying me? And is it the same as the guy in the cubicle next? So, I, I think it is that discussion and to be aware. Absolutely. So, look, the pay rate charts that are provided to employers now, there's no different rates for men and women on mm. the charts. So, making sure that, you know, we're valued for the job we do regardless of gender, it's all about our skills and that we are receiving, you know, the right recompense for that is really, really important. I think also financial literacy is, is massively important. I've seen, you know, women who make fabulous salaries just fritter it all away and women on more modest salaries be incredibly frugal. So sometimes it's not what you earn, it's what you do with it. Mm. So understanding our options and becoming financially literate is just as important. Yeah. And I, I just think it um, the more we talk about this, uh, the better it is. I mean, there's business owners who listen to this podcast. There's people in HR who listen to this podcast. And I would say if you're in a HR team and you have employees and you actually know that there are women who are earning less than their equivalent or what do they call them? Counterparts yep. or whatever. Um, and you don't do anything about it you were guilty. Just as culpable, absolutely. Under the Glenn James Crime Act. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty as charged. Yeah, so I I think it is that it's not just uh, the responsibility of, um, you know, Helen who's listening to this podcast. It's as a societal responsibility for people listening to this to be aware of it. Well, don't they say the things we walk past are the things we accept? Yeah. So, if, if we're not putting our hand up and, and waving in the flag and, you know, getting that equality, yeah, we are just as culpable. So, it's it's very important topic on a, on a massive level. And, like, so me as a, a person who employs people, like, I want my team to, you know, when they're at a barbecue or, you know, if someone says, oh, what's it like working with Glenn, that they've got nothing but praise and not because I've got a huge ego that I want to be, you know, patted behind my back. It's more that if someone isn't happy in the workplace, that's a problem. And you should be the first one they're telling, not everybody else. Exactly, yeah. Yes. So, you've got to have that, you know, easy to approach, um, which which isn't always easy for people, you know, if they're frightened as well of, you know, raising the issue. Not many of us are terribly confident, you know, putting a hand up saying, look, I'm worth more. Yeah, yeah. So, Helen, I just want you to be encouraged that um, – you know, if, if you're unsure, ask the question and particularly ask some of your, you know, closest friends how they've gone about doing, you know, maybe some hard conversations. And if you're in a bigger organisation, uh, maybe you could ask for some HR policies or... You yeah, know, have how- those water cooler chats with the colleagues. You know, most people are happy to share. So, it gets the, everything out in the open. If you don't know how to approach it, there are books called Having the Tough Conversations. So, you know, have invest in those as well. But it's, it's funny as well. And this is where I think... You know, absolutely, you know, the pay gap and all that exists, but just make sure, you know. That you are being disadvantaged. Yeah. You might be just, like, everyone might be pay crap. Yeah, <laughs> so well, I, if I don't you're know feeling what, the pinch, maybe that's just personally because of your finances rather than an actual pay gap. It might be a perceived position yeah. where really it is an equal employer. So. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important to just get the information before we jump to conclusions. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Because our own personal situation may be influencing how we're feeling about the situation. Yeah, because I'm one to give the benefit of the doubt and sometimes, 
you know, it can lead to me getting taken advantage of or whatever. So, it's just that walking on that line and being as close to that line as possible. <laughs> all right. There's a question here from Anonymous. Uh, I've saved almost 80K and I'm looking at buying my first investment property and first property in general. I've also had the opportunity to invest into a managed fund, which I've been following for a while. Uh, and, you know, they trust the people running it and the process and their fees. I was wanting to put about 10K into the fund, but I'm worried how this will affect my borrowing capacities. They're, they are also increasing their fees at the end of February, so I'd like to get in before that happens. Should I focus on one goal at a time, or can I hedge it and do both? Love the podcast, just after a bit of insight. So, I just want to jump in there, Amanda, and say a couple of things. Uh, with a managed fund, if they are increasing their fees, if you get in before the fee increase, it doesn't matter because everyone will get the fee increase. So, I, I don't know of a managed fund where they're segregating fees unless it's an older platform. And a we're legacy talking style product. A legging yeah. Style. And look, by the end of February, you've got, what, a day or two now? So, yeah. <laughs> we're cutting it really fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, it, whether you do jump in, you know, in March or at the end of February, in terms of the managed fund fees, if fees go up, it goes up for all, the, uh, all unit holders regardless. Uh, so, that's number one. And we are coming live from the Gold Coast and we're in the lobby of... Peppers Tower One at the Oracle, yeah, in Broadbeach. Yeah, so I'm staying up on level 14. Nice. Hope the views are good. Yeah, they are good. So let's talk about um, focusing on goals at a time. Sure. So in this situation, you know, we want to buy the first investment property or the first property in general, and we've got you know 10 grand that we might want to you know put into a managed fund. Uh, what's your mind thinking with this strategy? Look, you can basically hedge your bets. You can do both, but are you the sort of person who does need to focus and go, look, one thing at a time, I just want to get the property bedded down. The person to talk to about whether this would impact your capacity would be your mortgage broker. Absolutely. They would be the one to tell you, look, having that asset, we count it as an asset, the managed fund, it's fine, knock yourself out. Or, you know what, you don't quite have enough. You might be in lender's mortgage insurance territory. You might not quite have enough for the property you're looking at. So, they would be the ones to assess your capacity and work out what you need, what fees you can avoid by keeping that 10 grand aside. So, they're the ones to approach and say, look, this is what I'm thinking. What what are my options? Run the numbers for me on both for the cash flow. Yeah, totally. And I think it's important because when we invest, and there is a question coming up about timelines for investing, we want to hold that investment for the long term. I would hate for you to invest in the managed fund, then go to the mortgage broker and say, oh, you actually need that to actually get the loan. Yeah, pull it out. And then pull Worst it out. Timing. Yeah, you know, pull it out when COVID hits and then it's down 20%. So, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Amanda. I could not have said it better myself. There's another question here from Anonymous. I, for the first time in eight years, became debt-free in 2020. So, congratulations. congratulations. That's so awesome. Cool. Yeah. And have now saved almost 30 grand this year towards a house deposit and have around 12K in the share market. So, realistically, you know, they've had a long eight years of debt. At some point, cleaned up their act, paid off the debt. And it just speaks to that, you know, often that when we're not intentional with our money, it can just be sloppy. Oh, absolutely. We get intentional and we actually can work out with a plan in place that no, there is actually surplus money. Mm. We, we can actually save. I get testimonies all the time, Amanda, and I'm sure you've seen it with your clients. You know, people will download the Glenn James spending plan, do a budget and, you know, oh, we saved 20 grand in the last year. 
we didn't even know it. And it was just because they were intentional and had a plan. And most people, you know, they they flick through their statements online and they they don't even know what half the money going out is for. They they don't remember that subscription that they had. Are you talking um, about me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they forgot they'd signed up to Stan three years ago and they've never used it or, you know. My my worst one was I had two Amazon Prime subscriptions. good on you. (laughs) (laughs) Three different email addresses. It's easy to do these days. Um, So... The second part of the question is, I would like to buy a house, but feel I'm still so far away, but also worried about getting back into debt. Any tips? Well, the first thing, again, I'd say probably have a chat with a broker about the capacity. They, they may say, look, you know, 30 is a great start if you want to get a small little unit for $300,000, $350,000. They would then go through, you know, look, you're in mortgage insurance territory, so there's going to be more fees. So they may recommend that, you know, you double that saving before you get into the market. The other things to think about are, you know, can you increase your savings by investing now? And I'm not talking about riskier investments such as share market investments, but utilising safer style credit funds, term deposits to increase and help your savings as well. Have that, you're obviously a disciplined person, you've gotten out of debt, you've put that 42000 all up away. And look, maybe it's just not the right time right now, but it doesn't mean it's not a goal that can't be achieved. You know, it might be a longer term goal when you've got that more critical mass. Yeah. And I'd probably say to Anonymous, you know, the first time in eight years that you're debt free and... I would hypothesise that you have not spent eight years paying off a mortgage. Uh, You've been paying off probably consumer debt. Possibly. So, I I would probably say I, in this instance, I'm not too worried about, quote unquote, getting back into debt because the debt that you'll be getting as a mortgage to buy a property, that debt is secured against an appreciating asset. So, that debt, it's not causing harm. Good debt, bad debt chat, doesn't it? Yeah. so, So, but if in doubt... Press pause for 2021. Just go, I'm just going to spend this year not having any debt and have my savings, have my emergency fund and not have any financial pressure and enjoy it because- When you've taken eight years to dig yourself out of the hole, yeah, it might be worth just- (laughs) Amanda, I don't know about you, but if I've spent eight years paying off debt and, you know, some of those debt payments could be $300 a month, $400 a month. Easy. I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm going to start to enjoy some money without the debt behind it. So, I'm going to save up and spend $1,000 and take my partner or some friends and do a weekend in Melbourne now that the borders are open. I don't know. Like, Well, we still have to live, don't we? There's yeah. no point putting every single thing away and dropping dead of a heart attack because, and we never enjoyed life. I mean, there's, there's got to be that no regrets versus, you know, still being frugal and practical yeah. as well. So, well done on that. Um Celeste says, I'd like to know more about my super and how to get the most from my super. So, that's... Everybody should want to know that. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Great question. The first place I'd say to go would be back to your super fund. I mean, most have really comprehensive websites these days with fabulous tools and calculators. You can work out, look, based on what I've got at the moment and what's going in, how much will I have when I retire? And that will either scare the bejeebas out of you or or make you go, you know what, I really need to pay a lot more attention to this um, or, you know what, I'm on track. So, there's great tools. And look, if your super fund doesn't have that, try and find one that does. There's really cool things you need to know, like your investment risk profile. So, that's whether you're a very conservative, middle of the road or aggressive style investor. Usually, younger people tend to be more aggressive because they've got about 40 years they can put money away for. But that also might not be 
who you are. So yeah. understanding, the first thing I'd say is go and find a risk profile tolerance test somewhere and work out what style of investor you are and then have a look at your fund and see does that match yeah. who I really am. And I know, for example, like Sun Super were our show partner last year and what I'm about to say kind of just speaks to the quality of the fund and why I had them as a show partner last year. Like, yeah, great fund. They provide complimentary advice about your super fund to their members. Yes. And other funds might do that. So, you know, we all pay member fees for our super fund. Get the most out of it. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I would probably go out on a limb and hypothesize that most people won't access their super until 65 Okay, you can get it after 60 if you fully retire at the moment, but let's just say- 67 by the time you and I retire. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, what I would probably hypothesize and go out on a limb and say, you know, risk profile aside, if you're under 50, I think there's a strong argument to have 80% of your funds in growth. You're looking at me like you don't want to give any type of financial advice. I will not be giving financial advice on this podcast. Neither am I. And this is why I'm giving general Glenn's chatty chat chat advice uh, because my parents are in their 60s and I think we've got them in a 70-30 fund. And look, even when you retire... That doesn't stop you. I mean, if you're going to live for another 30 years, technically, (laughs) it's really starting to work then. So you do have to think, look, it just doesn't need to be aggressive till I retire and then I'll put it in the conservative fund and hope Mm. for the best. I mean, Financial Planning 101 when I started was work your butt off to get a million dollars in a fund, throw it in a term deposit, getting 5% and live on 50 grand a year. That was as basic as it got. And look, who can live on 50 grand a year these days and where are you going to find a term deposit that's giving you 5%? (laughs) So, you know, the government has increased our pension um, allowance up to $1.6 million each. So, you know, that could be a goal that some people go for. But like you said, the education. And when you get that critical mass, it's probably worth investing in having a chat with a financial advisor. Do your homework. Find one that, you know, you connect with. Most of them these days have YouTube videos. You can watch a couple and go, look, I really love this person, resonate with them. Or you might go, look, this is just not for me. Yeah. So you can then get the strategy advice. Um, if Look, if they're just wanting to push you into a product that they can charge fees on, probably walk away. Yeah, or run away. Run away. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if they're giving you strategy advice about how to maximise doing salary sacrifice, how do voluntary contributions work, you know, are there other strategies, you know, the co-contribution, the spouse contribution, Mm. what works for you, that sort of information is invaluable. So, yeah, worth investing. So, what I would say, Celeste, is call your current super fund and ask these three questions. And I'll make these questions up on the spot, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) first questions, could you please give me an overview of what I'm invested in and what the allocation to growth is? And of the fund, could you tell me uh, what page on the PDS that this investment option is? Oh, look at you with the jargon. Yeah, the product (laughs) disclosure statement. And can you walk me through my investment option over the phone and what it means? Number two, I would ask them, could you please explain uh, what the fees are to the fund to me, uh, the member fee, the admin fee and the investment fee. And number three, tell them Glenn said hi. No, I don't know. But (laughs) I I guess I'm just saying we pay a member fee, call your fund, get them to walk you through uh, and they may provide complimentary advice to their members. Uh, And I know SunSuper does, so. And look, some advisors are also more than happy to provide Mm. the information you need on those funds. Totally. But I still stand by my point. If you're under 50, it's probably- Knock yourself out. (laughs) um, 
you know, 70 to 80. I'll, I'll bring it down to 70 to 80% growth because the money needs to go to work for at least 15 years. Well, when you're looking because at the you charts can't touch that the show bastard for 15 the last, years. you know, yeah. 100 years of returns, it's the growth funds that are doing those returns. So growth is things like shares and property. They're the ones that over the long term are the knockouts. So. All right. You've got a phone call in six minutes and we're going to read a question from Julia about, again, it's another house deposit question versus investing right after this break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, Amanda, Julia says, I've heard you say that if you're not keeping money invested for over five years, then don't bother. If I'm saving for a house deposit, I probably won't buy for five years. Should I invest the money I'm saving to withdraw years down the track or put it in a savings account from day one? Loving the improved podcast. Thanks, Julia. So, we've improved the podcast, Amanda. Oh, well done. (laughs) Yeah. So, we're just trying to make it more engaging, make it tighter, less banter and chat. If we do the banter and (laughs) chat, we'll put it at the very end in the after party. Um, But yeah, we are really doing this podcast for um, the cult that's called My Millennial Money. Okay. So, we're not... um, buying a house for at least five years anyway, what are you thinking? If you're looking at investing and we're talking managed funds, ETFs, shares, growth assets, yeah, five years absolutely is a bare minimum for investing. If I'm saving towards a goal that has a time frame, I am less likely to put it into those growth assets because of the volatility. So I wouldn't want to be stashing all my money in this account that is in the share market and then have a COVID style event or, you know, a market correction, which does seem to happen, you know, between every five, seven or 10 to 12 years as we've just seen. So the worst thing to do is be saving for the deposit, have all the funds, just when you're about to take it out, there's a correction and you lose 30% of your money. So I'm much more inclined for specific goals to be less aggressive in those investments. But look, a long-term savings account that's just simply savings, yeah, absolutely. Throw mm. it in those growth assets and, mm. you know, forget about it. Yeah. And what I'll put a link in the show notes and it's a YouTube video that I did with Vince Scully and you know Vince. I do. Uh, hi, Vincent. And we talk about the first home super saver scheme. And the long story short is you can put 15 grand per year, up to 30 grand in total, into your super and basically flush that money through and, and save on tax. tax right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the wash up is you can save up to five grand in tax. And if the super account dips in value when you go to buy your house, there's a deeming rate that you can actually pull the difference out. So you're not actually at a loss to your home savings. Yeah. And on the flip side, if money's gone up, you can pull out your 15 plus the earnings. Yeah. So that's a great, great upside. So, check out that if you are balling and have heaps of money and you don't want to buy for five years, you might cap out the first home super saver scheme and then set up a, a, a managed fund or an ETF or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you can't break it like if you've got a long-term <laughs> uh, view, but I, I think, yeah, you're right. But then you may up. have to play timing at the That's end. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You might have to go, well, you know, coronavirus just happened. I wasn't that keen on buying a house urgently. I'm going to have to reassess this goal in six months because I'm not pulling out the money now. No, not while it's down. Yeah, so 
Thanks, Julia, Celeste, Anonymous, Times2, and Helen for sending in your questions. Remember, you can send your questions to questions at mymillennial.money, and we're having lots of fun. Amanda, thank you for jumping on the podcast again. Thanks for having me back. It's been great. I'm never coming to the Gold Coast ever again because it's too hot and muggy. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.